0: Let's get started in just getting our minds flowing a little bit. It's kind of cool, and it it's a wonderful fall day, and just to get our brains working, here we go. Name a career or job that requires lots of education. Doctors are going to be up there. What else? Pastor. Lawyers are going to be up there. Pastors are not up there. Okay, absolutely not. Okay. What else do you have? Doctors, lawyers, and what's that? Engineers. Mechanics are not up there, but it's a good idea. Teachers, dentists. Here's what they said. A nurse, college professor, teacher, the lawyer, number one was doctor. Got one for you. What is the happiest day in a woman's life? A happiest day in a woman's life. You're going to say when you and I got together. (laughs) You're not going to say that, okay? (laughs) Happiest day in a woman's life. Marriage. 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 Childbirth. After it's over, let's, let's qualify that one. OK. Valentine's Day is the happiest day in our life. Sandy, is that true? Maybe. OK, That was so appropriate to say that. Okay. What else do you have? What's that? Black Friday.) <laughs> Should I ask this? What's the saddest day in the husband's life? Black Friday? OK. Here's what they said. Retirement. Okay, Kid, a kid's graduation, graduation of themselves, birth of a grandchild, job promotion, child, I can yeah, birth of a child, and number one was the wedding day. Other than personal letters, name something you receive in the mail. Bills. Somebody said bills. Junk mail. What's that? Other people's mail. <laughs> it's happening more and more. Okay. Yeah. Anything else you get in the mail? Uh, deliveries, packages, catalogs. You guys, I think, you covered them all. Checks. None of us said money, okay? Uh, postcards, packages, bills, magazines. No one has junk mails. What is the most ex- expensive thing you bought while married without telling your spouse you bought it? This is not true confession. This is, this is a survey, okay, of what you think other people said. So don't get yourself in trouble on this one. Sports equipment? What do you think people said they bought without telling their spouse? A car. A boat? Okay. By the way, boat is up there. Yeah. What else might people have bought? Car, somebody said already. Jewelry. Jewelry. Anything else? Tools. (laughs) Tools. Furniture? Okay. Here's what the survey said. Boat was the bottom one. Okay. Video game system. We are definitely in a new age of thinking. Okay. This one was, somebody said a computer, a TV, clothes, a trip, it was a surprise vacation, jewelry, and number one was a car. What were the top ten topics Jesus spoke about? Now, by the way, this is going to vary because some people will say, was it the topic or the word? And so if you look on some of the accounting of those topics or the words that he said, there will be a little bit of variation based upon who's counting. But these are generally the top ten topics Jesus spoke about. Heaven, Heaven, hell. Somebody said witnessing? money what's that hypocrisy forgiveness can you say beatitudes okay uh, well in the general the, the beatitudes won't be a topic it's like what what out of them okay, okay. any other topics prayer. love prayer. Hum- prayer humility somebody said salvation that's a good one okay <laughs> I think you've got most, but here, here is by statistical number that some have come up with. His coming, second coming, love, faith, and these are in the order of the top ten. Okay, so we're working our way up. Prayer, discipleship or making disciples, money, hell, heaven, and number one was God or, or the Father. He talks about the the reason I'm bringing up because in the topic that we want to be discussing here uh, this morning and getting into is the idea of money and stewardship. When it comes to the topic of money in the Bible, um, it's a frequent topic that Jesus spoke about. Not the most frequent, but a very frequent topic that he spoke about. That uh, in the Bible, if you start taking just the word money, okay, it frequently shows up, but then all of a sudden if you add words like debt, wealth, riches, gold, silver, poverty, the number drastically increases. So our point is this. Money is a major topic in the Bible. Therefore, if we are going to do what we've been saying we're doing, we want to make disciples. We want to help you to make disciples. Then as uncomfortable as it is for me because we hear so often, churches all they talk about is money, as uncomfortable it is as it is to talk about it because we're afraid of reaction, must we, if we're making disciples, must we talk about finances if it's such a major topic in the Bible? The answer is absolutely, positively yeah. yes. Yes, we need to be talking about it. And so there's a section in the booklet that we're going through. It's all the way towards the very back. It's covered all these topics so far. If you're just joining us, what we're doing here is trying to train you to train others. And so we've talked about a lot of these different topics. We are coming now to chapter 11, and in your booklet, it's page 175, and it talks about stewardship. Stewardship. So let's get there and let's fill in some notes and let's kind of move quickly. If you were to, to give a definition, what does stewardship mean? Broad, a real broad definition. What's it mean, stewardship? Take care, take care, of-, take care of something, okay? What's that? manage something. You guys hit, use the right words. Here's out of the dictionary. It's the idea of duties of a steward or a person who acts as a surrogate for another, especially managing financial things, property, estate, the responsible uh, uh, responsibility, it should read, overseeing and protection of something considered worth caring for. Now the dictionary gives a sentence. I found this very interesting. They give a sentence of how they use stewardship. And you can tell we're in modern, modern era, uh, especially with environmentalism so that's where they used it. New regulatory changes will result in better stewardship of lands that are crucial for open space and wildlife habitation. So the idea of stewardship is, and it's appropriate, we're to take care of God's creation. I don't mean to minimize that. We're to take care of, at times, children. We're to take care of different things that God puts in, into our possession. And so the Bible frequently talks about this topic. In fact, Jesus in two parables talks about the stewards, household managers, people like in Luke 12 where says, says that somebody who is a ruler over a household a steward or stewardship. In fact, there is the pastor is called a steward. As we read, a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, as several translated from the original language, the idea that we're to be managing the household of God. And so that topic of stewardship comes up quite frequently. Now let me talk about stewardship, okay? The, in the ancient world, the steward, the one in, had authority to conduct business on behalf of the owner. If we were to take take this a little bit further. We would make this comment. In today's culture, it would be like having power of attorney. That you were in charge of somebody's possessions, somebody's finances. Or you could have power over their medical. Some of you might have that. Yes no? Where you can make decisions for somebody over their medical care. And uh, so that's the concept. And the question that they're going to ask you, and they're going the first section here, and, and this is, they, they did such a good job with it in the discipleship book. At, they want you to make sure that the person you're talking about understands this most basic concept. That is, although a steward may have management, power, authority to take care of buying and selling and making decisions about property, to whom do those items really belong? Okay, say, say you're, say you're, you're a, somebody's, you've got somebody's power of attorney. Whose checking account that you can work with, whose checking account does that really belong to? Okay, We're not getting into a spiritual, we're just using an analogy here. The owner owner of it. Okay, the one that has ultimate that even though they may not be able to function or they may not be, they are absolutely the one. And in Bible days, that meant the owner of the steward or the employer. Some of you manage, you are stewards at work. You are put in charge as a supervisor, but you don't really own the company, but you are making decisions for them. You are giving direction for them, and so you're a steward, but you don't own. And so they want to take this, and they want to give that concept, make it a full concept into spirituality, but I wanted to pause and just to ask you this question. Can you think of any Bible character or characters who lived out stewardship in the sense that they were a steward? Okay, the the first one that comes to mind is Joseph of the Old Testament, right? He was a steward, a manager over whose household? Okay, Potiphar's at first and then later on Pharaoh's. Okay, so he he was clearly an illustration. Can you think of another Old Testament prophet who in the political realm, he was a steward given great authority... Okay, Daniel's the other character that comes to mind, that he was given from, in a secular environment, he was given a stewardship, and quite a a lot of authority, and yet he was underneath the king, Nebuchadnezzar, and then later on, the king's uh, grandson. And so when we come to this idea of stewardship, okay, our thoughts are this, the foundation for good stewardship is, and now we're talking in a spiritual plane. You understand, you've you've got them to understand the, the technicality, the modern day power of attorney, illustrations. They understand stewardship. Now let's take it in the spiritual realm. You want the individual, and you and I have to realize this first. We want to get to the point that we realize that you, me, you, and everything we possess really belongs to God. And so in the following verse, and we're in 1 Corinthians 6. Okay, because I'm just going to put it up and then we're going to flip off the page and then you're going to have to have it in hand. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Okay, this verse talks about the idea of God's ownership. Okay, you're familiar with it. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I'm going to ask you in a moment to just dissect that verse phrase by phrase and give every single nuance that says you belong to God. Every little phrase, every little, and then describe it. But I want you to back up with me for a second in your mind and understand the context of this verse. Just don't, you know, you who are teaching, you, you just want, don't want to just put this on the table without understanding In the context of this passage, what you have going is Paul is dealing with some very personal, private matters. If you back up, for instance, and you're in 1 Corinthians 6, you're in verse 13, 14. He's talking about what you eat, what you take in, and what you digest. Is that a personal matter, even preferences? Yes no? Okay, some of you like different foods than other people. Yay? Okay. Some of you like coconut. Some of us don't. Some of you like pineapple pineapple on pizza. Oh, I'm with you on that one. Okay. (laughs) Some of you don't. Some of you love calf liver smothered in onions. Some of you are gagging already. Okay. So who's right? There, there, really, no one. That's that's a good answer. No. Now, so what's that? The person that's eating it. The person that's eating it. And then your poor little kids—they have to eat whatever we like. You know. and now, in the in the discussion, it's not just preference, but it's also the problem was some of the meats were offered to idols, and some of the people said we can't eat it, and others said it really doesn't make any difference. Who is right? it depends on their battle, their struggle, their background. So he's talking about a very, very personal item. Have you ever heard the phrase, it's my body, I can do with what I please? Where do we hear that typically in what discussion? In abortion. It'll never come up when you talk about vaccination, but it comes up when you talk about abortion. Isn't that ironic? And so he he talks about it very private, personal choice. What foods you eat, and he also talks about a very private matter physical sexual relationships. Did you catch that? Okay, what know ye not? Verse 16, who is joined to a harlot, the two become one. He that is joined to Christ is one. Therefore, verse 18, what's his command? Flee fornication. But that's a very private matter, it's not something we put out on a table like our diet. This is a very private matter. And so people in very private matters say it's nobody else's business. Okay, that's the mentality of the Corinthians. Would you say it's modern mentality as well? Okay, that's the context. That's what he's discussing here, which prompts Paul, led by the Holy Spirit, to ask a question. Do I really belong to myself or do I belong to God? What a fabulous question to ask. What a tremendous question. That he basically comes and he says, don't you know? In other words, you do know. You do know. You, you're aware of this. But can people be aware of a truth and not practice it? Yes. Okay. So he's asking a question, don't you know? And so, don't you know you don't belong to yourself, you belong to God. Now you take 1 Corinthians 6, take the next couple of verses that you're open to, What phrases or words in this passage indicate you belong to God? What's that? The word bought. Okay. Any other words or phrases? That's one of them. That's clearly your bought. Your body is the temple of God. Okay. Clearly ownership belongs to God. Any other phrase? You are not your own. Clearly, a phrase. Now you're doing this Bible study. Help those people to get these phrases because this is a pivotal thought. It's it's important for all aspects of growth. Any other verse uh, phrase? The spirit is within, within you. Ken, was that you? Yes. What was it? Uh, it says God in your body, and in your spirit, which are God's. Okay. Okay. That whole phrase. God's in your body, it, and not only in your body, but what does He add? In your spirit, okay? Any other phrase that comes to mind? I think you've got a, quite a few of them. Okay, bought with a price. Okay, so I've put down the same things you did. And by the way, the word that is used for temple here, just, this is just for you. Uh, you don't have to expound upon it. But it's the word for the most inner sanctum, like the holy of holies. Talking about the, the real, the real um, you know, we have temple uh, proper and then we have the holy of holies and so naos is the idea of that really inner sanctum uh, you're bought, the spirit is within you, you've been bought, you're not your own your body and your spirit uh, okay. and then we make these observations, this is true of how many believers Okay, it's the plural and it's complete all of you, plural and then all of you individually, all of you Every part of your life, all the time aspect. Therefore, he concludes, glorify God in your body. Even in the private areas, the things you do privately with your body, again, the context, or even in the private areas in your spirit, it's all belonging to God. What a tremendous concept that you and I need to get a handle on. That whole idea that God owns us. Now, following it up with another verse, Okay, how did God purchase us. Looking at this passage, clearly it's not with what people often look to. What do people often say? Oh, this is how we worship, we come to God. Not with what do you have in the passage? Not with money. Not with money. Silver and gold which perish, which are corruptible. Okay, not religious traditions. Okay, We didn't come, become part of God's family. He's he's not our owner because we follow religious generations that are passed on for generations. But rather, what what did God use to purchase us? The precious blood of the Lamb. Okay, and so we got the redeemed, by the way, is that idea of buying off the auction block by the blood of Jesus Christ who is sinless, and this fits that John 1, behold the Lamb of God which... Okay, and then Hebrews 9 is that idea it's by the blood of Christ, not the bulls and goats that gets us redemption. So God purchased you by shedding his blood. Okay, that that whole concept goes a little bit. You belong to God. If you belong to God, then it follows anything that belongs to you also belongs to God. How does the following verse teach that you are merely a steward of what belongs to God of your life? Here's the passage. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no, there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. How does this verse indicate that what you possess really God owns? Let's back up before you, before you do your concentration. Let's make sure you understand the context. Okay? The context is sin draws us away from God. Okay? And the idea is what prompts us to sin? Our own sinful desires, our own wants. To want something, does that make it bad? To want money, is that evil? To want to want, uh, to want Success. Thank you. Is that evil in and of itself? No. To want, uh, excuse me for being blunt here, to want to have physical relationships, is that in and of itself sinful? No. No, there's an appropriate place for it. And he is saying in this text that what happens with sin is that sin, typically it's the desire grows within us, it entices us, it ensnares us, it's like a fish hook, that we nibble on it, we bite it. But what he wants us to understand as well is God provides all we need to be satisfied. That's the gist of the text. Does God provide all the money we need to really become content? He does. But do we become content? Well, that's an issue with us. Okay. Does God provide uh, the promotion, the success somebody suggested? Does he provide enough to make us satisfied? He does. The problem isn't with God's provision. Where's the problem? With us becoming satisfied. Okay? And so we go on, God gives us only good gifts. Now you're in that James 1, 17, and maybe maybe you need to be turning there so I can help you, you can help out. Um, We'll put it back up in a moment. But James 1, 17, if you're not there, he describes in that text that every good and Perfect gift comes from where? From above. Okay. So by, and, and the idea of coming from above is a continuous idea. That the gifts keep on coming. They're a gift. They're free. So we dissect and says, okay, God willingly, because he makes that comment in this text. He makes that comment that every good and gift comes from above um, and with whom, from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness, okay, neither shadow of turning. What's that mean? The idea is this, that there is no no changing your mind, no Indian giving. The idea is that he willingly, with, without begrudging, without regrets, God gives gifts. He gives the things that, that you possess. And he does it faithfully. No turning or variations. So Let's ask this question. What would you include as the good gifts that God has given you? What are some of the good gifts that he has given to you without begrudging you? Okay, what's that? Friendships. Health. Children. Okay, salvation is in it. Okay, family. Your wife? Oh, that was really nice that you called her a good gift. That's right. Do I, I don't know, does she, does she take you to lunch? Yeah, oh, oh, oh. that was cheap. <laughs> what other good gifts does God give us? What's that? Breath, life, eyesight. Look at the physical things, physical things you possess. Food, clothing, shelter, Okay, did you walk this morning? You walked. No, I meant, I meant to church, to church. You, you walk 20 miles a day. I, yeah, I'm talking about the normal people here. Okay, okay. To, <laughs> transportation. Your, your, your vehicles came from God. Start walking through your house. What of the things in your house came from, ultimate, uh, indirectly or ultimately came from God? Okay. Appliances. Okay, your animals, your beds that you wish you were in right now, okay, your fridge, everything. His point is, what comes from God? Everything, everything. So if everything comes from God, it's basically simply on blank to you. It's on loan to you. And so that's the idea that you're trying to get. Since the good gifts come from him, we shouldn't waste them. We shouldn't abuse them. We shouldn't ignore the the things. That are, that are coming from God. Stewards are responsible to manage the times, towns, and treasures. How does the following verse teach that you, well, this one's a tough one for me. May, maybe, it, maybe it clicked with you, but this did not click with me, this verse right away. Okay, for who makes you to differ from another, and what have you that you did not receive? Now, if you did receive it, why do you glory as if you had not received it? The, 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 the way it's phrased throws me. Okay, and maybe I'm the, the oddball in the room. But this one threw me for a loop to just stop and say, wait a minute. I, need to, I, I want to fully understand what his questions. And so again, I'm going to take you back into context. In the text, the Corinthians are, are not getting along with each other. They're arguing with each other. And as they're arguing, one of the things that they are, they are doing is they're judging each other. You're not as smart as I am. You're not as spiritual as I am. And the topic that, they are, that he's talking about in this particular passage is they're arguing. Anybody know what they're arguing about in this context? Anybody know what they're using as declaring we're really smart and you're not so smart? What was the thing that they were elevating? What, what would you say? Uh, that's going to come into it. It's cl- yeah, yeah. It's, it's who the preacher was. Is who who's their spiritual guide? Could be uh, you, like uh, like you said. Like who baptized me? Who who do I think is the best preacher? Okay, I think so and so is a bre- you think so and so is the best preacher? I'm wise. You're dumb. Okay, uh, because you don't know how to determine who's the best preacher. That's the context. The argument is exalting preachers. Okay, and putting down others who don't have the same favorite preacher. Good thing that never happens in modern days, okay. And so he says, okay, this came, this in this comes becomes you're puffed up. By the way, this word, this uh, that idea of puffed up, the same word it could be translated arrogance shows up five times in this very in this very context. That uh, that whole concept, and he asks the question, <laughs> and, and it's, it's funny, um, when he, when he first starts going through this question, he. Um, his first comment is who, who regards you as superior to others? I'm trying to remember how it was phrased in the King James. Um, who makes you to differ from another? It's basically who says that you're superior? Who made you to be superior to others? It's a, I was reading, reading a, a commentary on this and the preacher said he, he used a real life illustration. He said that one of his uh, experienced preaching friends of years and years and years of preaching experience got approached by a, by a young man fresh out of seminary and fresh out of seminary in the pulpit in his church for one month and he walked up to this older senior preacher and he says I want you to pray for me that I don't get proud and arrogant and the older preacher said what reason do you have to be proud and arrogant he, he didn't mean it as a put down but put him in his place I mean, what have you done after a month of preaching? Okay, is the, was the idea. Who regards you as superior? What do you have that you have not received? Okay, and so he goes on and says, since you have received it, what right do you have to boast about it? Because it didn't come from you. You, you, you didn't create this preacher. You didn't. So what, what are we boasting about? Therefore, he brings us back to this idea. Okay, and we would say, everything we have is ultimately from God. Okay, arrogance is foolish and inappropriate for a believer to be boasting about what you've done, what you have. It's it's foolish for us. Yes, no? Would you agree with that? Okay, he goes on. We are merely temporary caretakers and beneficiaries of God's many gifts. So we've laid the foundation with this whole idea of stewardship stewardship, not being proud, not being arrogant. And he gives a story in here that I wanted to just, I I thought this was excellent, excellent. That little section, do you see it? Selective credit. If you don't have a paper in your hand, to me this paragraph was absolutely astounding. We tend to give God selective credit. One who rises from rags to riches is called a self-made man. Many boast how they have made a life by the sweat of their brow, yet catastrophes and tragedies are often called acts of God. Humans tend to credit themselves with the good things and God with the bad. Yet scripture teaches that everything we possess was received. Your job, even your ability to work, is from God. Everything you have is a gift from God. Okay, so we got that. Accepting the fact that you are a steward is not easy. Okay, that, that, means, that means for some of you, It wasn't your great ability to get the good grades. That ability came from God. It wasn't your great wisdom that produced all this money. It's really a gift from God. That's humbling. That's challenging, especially in a culture like ours. As a steward, here's your questions that they ask you to work with the person. As a steward, what do you own personally? Nothing. Nothing. Okay. As a steward, who owns the talents and possessions that you are managing? Okay. God does. Okay. He goes on. As a steward, what is your responsibility to God when it comes to those things he has put into your care? Manage well. Multiply them. Excellent. What else? Use for his glory. Any other thoughts? What's that? Excellent. Excellent. Any other thoughts? Thank Him. Thank Him. Okay? We can write all these things. Take care of that which God has put in my care. Okay? We can put down not waste or abuse or mismanage or hide those gifts. If God has given you gifts, you're not supposed to hide them. Okay? You're not supposed to keep them to yourself. Use them for His glory. Use them for the benefit of others. The reason I say that is what is the second greatest commandment? The first is love God with all. What's the second? Got it got it. use them in a way he said they should be used. We get that I got that from David in the Ark. Do you remember a message recently? What message?, what message? <laughs> 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 to... ah, the gift of forgetfulness, huh? Okay. You remember David, David was doing something good, but he was doing it. Okay, Very good. How does this fact? Think that, how does the, the fact that you're only a steward influence the way you manage your money how should it influence the way you handle your money what's that with your monies, put God's desires before your own what else okay excellent what else there's a lot here there's a lot yes sir Oh, okay. The concept of accountability with what God has given you. Great. What's that? Give the first fruits to the Lord. Any others? I know you haven't had uh, a lot of minutes to think about it, but anything else comes to mind? You're trying to stir the thinking of that person in the Bible study. Any other ideas? Praying how to use that money. Use the money to promote God's work. Okay, excellent thoughts, guys. We should use our money in a way that glorifies God. We should not use money to engage in sin. Would you think that's, is that a truism? Okay, not to engage in sinful acts. We should use our money to promote his name. We should use our money in a loving way towards others. Not to hurt others, but to help others. Okay, we should not get or keep money via a sinful means. We should not use our money to hurt others. We should spend our money in a wise way. Even though it's my, uh, even though it's my money, it's really not my money. Therefore, the way I spend it should be done wisely. Okay? We should invest our monies in wise investments. We should not be greedy for more money, but become content with what God has provided us. That's hard. We should not abuse or waste the money he puts in our care. We should give back what God asks us to give to him. We should support the things God wants us to support. Okay, so you've you, you got all these different thoughts that you're giving this growing Christian. But remember, before you give other people these thoughts, you have to be doing make sure you're doing them yourself. You've, you've adopted this concepts, these concepts. So we go a little bit further. And I ask these questions because I'm thinking if I were in a Bible study as a baby Christian, I would want to ask you this question. Doesn't the Bible say money is the root of all evil? No. What does it say? The love, the love of money. Okay, I would ask you this question. Can somebody be godly and be rich? Doesn't the Bible teach you have to give away Okay, no, you need a little bit more than no. Because I'm, I'm asking this question in a Bible study at your kitchen table, and you say, no. Okay, so what's the next half of this? Well, what do you mean by Solomon? Okay, was he godly? Yeah, godly. <laughs> you're, you're fudging on that one. You're fudging. Okay, there was a period of time where he's godly. There's a period of time he blows it. Okay, and then he gets back to the Lord. Okay. So you're suggesting that people can be godly and rich at the same time. Okay, you're using Solomon as an example. Do you guys have anybody else? Who? Job. Yeah. Who else? Abraham. Anybody else? Joseph in in Egypt eventually. Any others? Anybody in New Testament godly and rich? Okay, Lydia, the seller of purple. Okay, Barnabas. Okay, excellent, Acts 4. Uh, Philemon. Okay, so we have, you know, and here, I would want you to explain this to me. Okay, because in all the stories that I heard in the church I grew up, always they, they promoted poverty, and they always said that the most godly people are those who... Took a vow of poverty and became monks and that type of thing. You know, and so that's the religion I grew up in that it elevated poverty to say poverty equals spirituality. You want to make sure you, that they understand poverty does not mean you're spiritual. Can a, can a poor person be greedy? Oh, yeah. Okay, And then you have all those illustrations that you're giving. Is it proper? Here's a question I'd have for you. Is it proper to keep your money and possessions or do we give it all to the poor? How do you answer it from a Bible? What's that? He did. And so he told the, the rich young ruler, sell all that you have. See, you're supposed to give all your money away. So that was that man's issue. It wasn't a rule for everybody else. How do you know that? Okay. Well, you know that, that man, that was his struggle. How do you know Jesus didn't ever say, give everything to the poor? What's that? He said, you'll have the poor. This is the passage. The poor you'll have with you always. What is the context of that verse? Do you remember? Do you remember what's happening? She broke the ointment, poured it on him. Judas and the others complained. This is a waste. We should have given it to the poor. And Jesus' response is... The poor you'll have with me, with you always, but you only have me for a period of time. He's advocating the idea that we don't have to give everything to the poor all the time. Okay. Any other thoughts, passages come to mind? That's, by the way, in John 12. Okay. In that, in that case, absolutely, absolutely. Um, that John 19. I said 12. I'm sorry. The poor you have with you always. The key is not whether or not you. The, the key is not whether or not you own the riches, but whether or not the riches own you. Okay. L- let me ask one more question, as an aside here. Is it proper to use your money for personal enjoyment? Bible verse? Ecclesiastes? Vanity, vanities, everything is vanity. (laughs) Dressers, dressers, all are dressers. There is a New Testament verse that clearly makes, that makes this absolutely clear. Godliness with contentment is great gain. I'm looking at another one in 1 Timothy. If you go to First Timothy oh, I hope it's there. <laughs> Pressure's, on. Pressures on. I know it's on this page. You know how that works. OK. Yeah, First Timothy chapter six. By the way, this as silly as it sounds, this is an important question to a lot of people when it comes to finances. And so you, you want to make sure you understand. In First Timothy chapter six, go to the very end of the book, First Timothy six. He says these comments in verse 17. Charge them that are rich in this world. Okay, so we're talking about money. Charge them that are rich in this world that they do not what? Okay. Okay, they don't become proud. What else? They don't trust in those riches. Okay. But in the living God who gives us richly all things. What's your last word? Or last two words. The idea, is it okay to enjoy the physical benefits of money? Sure, sure. Sure. As long as we do what? We do good and be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to, the word communicate is not with your mouth, it's the idea of sharing. Okay, and so can I use my money? Can you go on vacation? Yes. Yes. Okay, can you buy a nice car or must you drive a wreck? You better say yes, because most of us have nice cars. Okay, But we're not the standard. The standard is the passage. We can do those things. Is it okay to have nice houses? Yeah, okay, there's nothing wrong. We can enjoy that. As long as we are not high-minded, we're not trusting in those things, and we're still being... Generous. Charitable. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. That's good. Second Corinthians 8 and 9. Now we get into the text. Of all the texts that deal with finances and money in the New Testament when it comes to giving, this is the passage you want to work with. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, um, l- let me make sure you understand the context. So we're headed to 2nd Corinthians 8. We're going to be looking at this this week and next week as we wrap this section up. In the New Testament church, okay, giving was encouraged. We know that from the book of Acts. We read about it, that financial gifts were being given. And what were they doing with the financial gifts that were laid at the apostles' feet? What did they do with them? They were sending it what? Uh, Initially in Jerusalem, they weren't sending it away. They were using it in-house. Do you remember what they were doing? What's that? Yeah, they were helping the poor. It also included what group of people that were in need. The widows. Okay. So they were helping them out. And they were using those funds. With the rise of persecution, we come to chapter 7 and 8, persecution comes up. Well, with persecution, that also brought with it the rise of needs. Does that make sense to you? Okay. Because how could persecution take form? Take Take away your job. You remember in that culture, if you were put out of the synagogue, nobody was supposed to, you know, do business with you. So as persecution rises, some of the believers scattered. But some of the believers stay there in Jerusalem. And they're having more and more difficulty providing for their needs. And the church is trying to help out peoples within and the doing. Then all of a sudden, what happens within a five-year period after the uh, of Chapter Eight, when persecution is rising, a famine hits that region of the world—the Middle East, Jerusalem, Judea—all that region. It is a severe famine; it's a critical famine, and it affects Rome, by the way, historically, because the breadbasket, Egypt, and the Middle East, the breadbasket of the world. All of a sudden, the markets are thrown into problem. Now, that means for the people in Jerusalem, who are trying to make it through persecution, all of a sudden those helping one another, they can't because they've lost their incomes. And so what does Paul do during his missionary journeys? When he's going out preaching, he and Barnabas tell those churches that are just getting started, hey listen, why don't you help out your grandparents, spiritual grandparents the ones who helped get us out in the first place, the ones where the gospel started. Why don't you be generous to the churches in the area of Jerusalem, Judea? Why don't you help them out? And we're going to come by and we're going to collect a special offering that we will use to help those individuals out. And so what happens in 2 Corinthians, the believers in Galatia, Thessalonica and some of that region of of that world, they've been collecting monies, giving it to Paul and Barnabas, and they're they're taking it to Jerusalem as they head back that direction. And he comes to the church of Corinth, and the church of Corinth said, we're going to do it. We're going to take a special offering. But we come to chapter 8 and find out they haven't done it. They've made a commitment, but they haven't followed through. And so what he's doing is he's writing to say, hey, you need to get on the ball and you need to grace give. And he uses the word grace multiple times. It's the idea of just out of grace, what God has done in you, for you, through you, given to you, give generously and to help out. That's the context and he talks a lot about this giving. By the way, this passage is so filled. It is an excellent passage on how to manage money. And he talks about how he, how he is taking care of the money that is given. There's a, there's a whole lesson on here out of this of who do we put in charge of the monies that we give. It, it's provided in this passage, in this context. It's, it's, it's fabulous. But what the author in, the, in your book says, well, let's take from here. And let's walk into the principles of giving. And let's point out that giving first starts with a spiritual attitude. It's got to be a spiritual giving. And what he's talking about is this idea as you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and he makes this comment to these believers. He's talking about the idea of giving is an act of grace. Grace giving, grace giving, grace giving. How is giving grace in your life. Well, here's a couple thoughts. In your flesh, in our flesh, we're we're naturally possessive. We're naturally selfish. Yes? Okay, did we start that even as children? Okay, we did. Okay, what what makes you to be generous? The Holy Spirit. Okay, it's a working of God. Under the spirit's influence, this goes back to sanctification. Under the spirit's influence, you become more selfless. Some of you have experienced this time and time again. As the Spirit works in your heart, you become more gracious and and helpful and generous and charitable and giving like any ministry. Remember what Philippians said, he works in you both to will and to do. The ability to give, the heart to give is God working in you through grace, Okay, and so grace is the motivation. Grace is, is the, the empowerment. And so he's commending these people and he says, hey listen, you're, you, you know, we're talking about grace giving, but even before you give money, what does he say in verse 5 that they were to give? Or they did give? And he reminds them or uh, not the Corinthians, but the other churches in Macedonia who were giving money. I'm sorry, I I misstated that. The other churches that he's using as an example to them that they fulfilled. He said, before they even gave money, they gave something else. They gave of themselves. Okay, The, The passage, and this they did as we had hoped, or the idea did more than what we even thought. But they first gave of themselves. Okay? And then he says that unto the will. So they willingly surrendered themselves. They sacrificed. They did a Romans chapter 12. I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God present your... Okay, so once you give your body and you give yourself to the Lord, that also includes your pocketbook. And so his point in this is, hey listen, the idea is giving is a result of godly giving, uh, living. It's not a substitute for it. Okay? He thought giving is more of a matter of the heart than it is your pocketbook. Once you've given yourself to the Lord, giving your resources is easy. It's really easy. Giving is first and foremost an act of worship. So I'm giving to you, Lord. I'm giving what I bring this morning. I'm not giving it for show. I'm giving it for you. And so it's a spiritual act is the whole point. Number two, giving is to be well planned and consistent well-planned and consistent. Where do we get that from? Where does any text talk about that idea? Well, there's a couple of them. Okay, if we were to go down and let's start with this. Let's start with Second Corinthians 9. Okay? And uh, we'll make these comments. Second Corinthians chapter 9 it says, every man according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give. In this phrase it's really interesting the word he uses the word he uses for the idea of purposes, it's the word is to choose ahead of time, to plan ahead. It's not impulsive, but it's planning ahead is the word that we put up here that gives you an idea is to choose something beforehand. In other words, before we even come here to gather, we're to have prepared in our mind and heart, what are we going to do? It's part of our act of preparation. We are asked to give, and, and this is really important in this text, that as we plan to give, as we consistently give, we are not asked to give that which we don't have. Oh, it would be easy for me to voluntarily give a lot of your money. Yes? Okay, I'm not the government. <laughs> okay, it would be easy for, for me to be generous with somebody else's possessions, Right? Okay. And it would be easy for me to be generous with what I hope to have. Yes? No? Okay. I hope my parents are deceased. I don't know about it, but maybe they left us millions. Just maybe. They did not. But just, just maybe. So I'm going to give church, I'm going to give half of the millions that I'm going to get okay verse 12 for if there first be a willing mind it is accepted according to that a man has not according that he hath not by the way this is a fabulous encouragement I am not expected to give what I don't have so I don't have to keep up with any of you if I don't have it I don't have it yes no does that make sense Okay. Here we go. For God, what God cares. We are not asked to give what we don't. Uh, I'm sorry. I said that backwards, these two comments, but you got the gist. We are to give by equality. He says this twice in the passage. And this throws me. Verse 14. You are to, he says, verse 13. I mean not that other be eased and you be burdened, but by an equality you're to give. He says it again, that there may be equality in giving. When we think equality, what do we automatically think in modern America? Same amount, everybody's, everybody's the same. So are we supposed to all, here's how we'll do it. We will assign you how much you're to give. And you'll all give the same amount. Is that what that passage says? Well then how does it fit with as you purpose in your heart but you're supposed to have an equality of giving? Oh so so you're saying it's not the amount it's not the gift it's the giver. Okay. Okay. So that idea this doesn't mean we give the same amounts but we're all supposed to give. You agree with that then? Bob is that what you're saying? Okay. Okay. Excellent. Okay, so God doesn't leave the giving in the local church just to the wealthy 1%. That goes contrary to modern politics. Okay, but we're not, a, the church isn't modern politics. Okay, it's different. And so we're all supposed to be giving consistently. Now here, it's not in your note, but I put it in here because to me this is an important passage I'd bring up. The idea of consistent giving it, upon, here's what he writes to the Corinthians elsewhere. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered him. How does that verse indicate consistent regular giving? First day of the week. Okay. How many times does that come around? Once a week. Okay. Once a week. Okay. So does it repeat itself? How often? 52 times a year. Okay. So. Okay, and by the way, to lay by him in store, any of you remember what that that word means? To put in the box, to put in the treasury. Literally, that's the concept. To lay by him in store is not, okay, I'm going to put it in the envelope and keep it at home. And I'll keep it stored until I feel like I'm given. It's the idea literally to put in the box, to put in the treasure box is the, the actual literal translation of it. And it's to be done repeatedly upon the first day of the day of the week. So consistent, well-planned giving. Starts with your heart and then you do it on a regular basis. And he gives you a reason why from this text. Why should we give? This is Old Testament but there's principles here. Why should we give? It's commanded. Excellent. What else? What do you see here? Okay, honor. Okay, it's the way we honor the Lord. Okay, God is saying, This is how you honor me. What else? Okay, what do you mean by that? It's not what we have left over after we've taken care of everything else. What does God want from us? He wants the very beginning of it. Why is that? does that create trust? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. What else does he promise? Okay, so you got, you, you got this all laid out here that God is, as you said, the result. And by the way, this is, a, this is repeated in the New Testament. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 9, he, he makes the comment, "He which verse 6, he that sows sparingly shall reap sparingly. He that sows bountifully shall Okay, same thing. Do you remember Philippians 4? My God shall... Yeah, but who's who's he writing to? Uh, I'm going to be more specific, Ron. It's to the church of Philippians, but who in the church? The previous verse. Those who were giving. Those who were giving. In the previous couple of verses, he talks about how they have been helping Paul meet his needs. So we have this idea that we're supposed to be giving on a regular basis uh, and keep on going, and so we'll pick up next week with right where we're at and finish out as much as we get through with this lesson and then, Pastor Art, we'll finish it all up in two weeks. Okay? Thank you.